It's time to be mindful and take a more bee-centric look inside our hives. Welcome to the Natural Beekeeping Corner with our host, Natalie B. Hey guys, welcome back to the Natural Beekeeping Corner with the Hive Jive. I'm your host, Natalie B. And today we're going to interview a good friend of mine, Bruce Rodriguez from uh, Swarmstead Gardenings and Bees. Uh, he's got his own YouTube channel. And he's also one of the moderators, administrators on the treatment-free uh, beekeeping Facebook page. And I'm going to let him introduce the rest of his credentials, uh, if any, just so that we are all on the same page. And then we're going to talk bees today, right, Bruce? Um, yeah, thanks for having me on here. Um, well, my name is Bruce Rodriguez. Um, as far as my credentials, I know, I've just kind of been a hobbyist beekeeper since um, I would say about 20 14, 2015 is when I kind of got serious. My first um, experience with bees was, you know, 2010, 2011. But um, ever since then, I just um, kind of learned a lot about swarm trapping. I try to keep as many as I can. And I've uh, just been a non-treating beekeeper ever since then. And I just love it. And I, I love talking about bees. Um, yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> So um, what was your first encounter with bees? You said you started in 2011, 2010. What was your first uh, intro into the world? Why did you get interested in that? Uh, well, that's that goes all the way back to when I was probably five or six years old. I'm um, just playing around in the neighborhood. One of my friends, uh, one of my neighbors just said, hey, hey, you want to go play with bees? And, and I said, sure, what the heck? And we just went around and he taught me how to catch honeybees and bumblebees and everything um, in little glass jars. And that was, I just became obsessed with bees and wasps ever since then. And then the kind of memory that I always go back to is when my dad told me to put my shoes on and let's go out to the neighbor's house. We have to take down a wasp nest. And he climbed up this ladder and, and I handed him the jar and he just took it down and put the lid on really fast. And that just blew my mind. I mean, I had that little wasp nest in my room for a couple of days and then we just went and let it go but yeah bugs bees wasps I just think they're all so interesting and I've just any chance I've had to to learn about bees as a kid all the way up to kind of growing up I just am fascinated by bees yeah it sounds like you've missed your career in entomology <laughs> I mean I, I went to school to learn biology I was hoping to um, eventually get into that but you know things happen in life and and I didn't I didn't get to be an entomologist but um yeah I don't know I think I'm, I learned pretty much just from bees um, from you know than having to to go through school about that very good so you do a lot of uh, swarm trapping and you work with swarms quite a bit is that how you get most of your bees and do you have like any kind of like best tips and techniques and swarm lures and all kinds of what's in your toolbox. What are your best recommendations? I know you talk a lot about it on your YouTube channel and there's a lot of information there for uh, people that want to go and check it out. And, uh, but, but I want to hear it from, from you. What is the most important things that we need to know about that? What works for you? Well, um, if it's okay, I have to really give a ton of credit to the people who I learned about it from and, and I would, I would have to say Jason Bruns from letembe.com is where I really learned pretty much everything. Everything that I learned about swarm trapping is from, from Let Em Be and from Michael Bush, um, from his website. And I think kind of 
a lot of the people who who teach about swarm trapping, it all goes back to them too, in my opinion. So, um, so that's where I really learned it all. And I just kind of built a little bit on that. Uh, I do trap do some swarm trapping, but I've been so successful with getting swarm calls and I just have so many people calling me about swarms during the season that, that it just doesn't make sense to me to have so much to monitor a whole bunch of swarm traps when they're just much easier to get by kind of just networking and getting to know as many people as you can, um, putting your information out there and trying to be the first person everyone calls to get these bees. Right. So I remember you said something about printing business cards and handing them out to everybody, right? Yeah, I do that. I print out print out business cards, stick them up at gas stations. Um, anywhere you see one of those cork boards uh, with the little thumbtacks, just stick them everywhere. Um, and it just takes the right person to see it. Somebody from a landscaping company or a tree company or something, or even, I don't know, firemen might see it. it just the the right person just kind of opens up a whole new door of of, of uh, referrals. Right. Um, a friend of mine, another uh, swarm guy, uh, he got some contracts with the electrical companies. Uh, some of uh, other friends got contracts with the water companies, right? Sometimes they go and nest into the, the water meters. Uh, do you have, do you do that as well? Right. Well, that's a, that's a good one. Last year, um, somebody from, a, I don't know what you would call it. It's like a big, gigantic apartment building. And these apartment buildings have these air conditioning kind of cavities in their walls. So I guess they called a few people to come get some bees over there. Nobody wanted to do it. I went over and, and did it, thinking nothing of it. And and now they just keep me as that guy who they call. And, and I'm telling you, it's like they have swarm traps built right into their wall. Because right. <laughs> I went out there like three times right towards the end of summer. Got three nice colonies. Um, and I think next year is going to be even more. So I have a lot of people like that, some some landscaping companies that call me first, you know, tree people. So I find that fascinating. And those are great tips, by the way. Um, do you, there's a lot of talk in the swarm catching removal business um, about paying, not paying. What's your stance on that? What, what, what are your thoughts? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. Ultimately, you can do whatever the heck you want to do if you like it. But I would say if you're if you're kind of new at it, don't get yourself in up over your head doing really difficult removals and doing them for free because to charge, you really should know what you're doing. And just you have to be honest with yourself what you can handle. Um, you're going to have a lot of people, at least I do that will not pay a penny to have bees removed. They don't care how long you've been there, uh, what you're gonna do, how far you're driving, they're just not paying. And it's kind of it's kind of like an insult. I take it as an yeah. insult. Um, a lot of times my price might just depend on the attitude of the person, you know, or mm. what what I think they might be able to afford. I don't want to, I don't want to take anybody to the bank, but really difficult removals, I call their people because I'm not a carpenter. Um, mm. as far as swarm removals those you know if they're within a half hour to 45 minutes i just love doing it so much i don't mind burning up the gas and i would never think of charging somebody to take a swarm off of a low-hanging bush right 
you know, if I'm getting up on ladders and getting into all kinds of danger, uh, I'll turn it down first. And if they insist on it, you know, they're going to have to, right. <laughs> they're going to have to make it worth, worth my while or anybody's. Well, and I think it's important anybody uh, pays themselves for at least their time and their effort, right? We're all busy and, and there's right. a certain liability in there as well, right? Yeah. And people do argue about that. I do see people arguing a lot. Um, I don't know that it's just, there's so many variables. It's hard to just say flat out, you need to always do this and that when you do a removal. Um, yeah, I think you should get, there are people that are really good and they deserve to be paid well, but you know, there's, there's some people who will charge a ton to do just something really easy that, that they're going to benefit from. And, you know, it's kind of just up to the individual. Yeah, I didn't mean to ask a controversial question. <laughs> I was it just is. kind of wondering how, how you were doing it. And I'm, I'm always curious because we do some of it, Les Crowder and I. I do some of it on my own. And I'm always kind of like very cautious about what I take on because I'm not a professional remover. And I don't want any kind of liability. I want to make sure that it's not wasps. I want to make sure that, you know, uh, I'm asking pictures and there's some kind of agreement, you know, some some basic things. but yeah so so you don't do a lot of swarm catching right like you don't trapping like well catching is when you go fetch them trapping is when you go and set up swarm traps you don't do a lot of that right um, not as much I, I think just for the fun of it maybe this spring I might put out maybe 20 traps last year I think I put out 10 um, just really simple ones not too far away you know one or two here one or two there but um yeah, maybe just for the heck of it, I'll put out some more. I don't know. It is really fun. That feeling when you set up an empty box somewhere right. or an empty, you know, flower pot and you check in, there's nothing there. And then you come back and you just see all those bees. I mean, it's just, it's, you can't describe it. And, and it is something, you know, that I like to experience. So I might do a little bit more, but it'll be more just for, for the fun of it. Good. Do you have a lot of success in your area or do you have techniques that, thing that you think might work uh, best or like that are increasing your chances of success well for swarm for swarm trapping pretty much the same rules that a lot of people say something about the size of a 10 frame box or a little bit bigger um, i keep it just really simple a frame of old comb and some lemongrass oil a couple drops here you know here and there on the entrance um, if you get too crazy about it you might still catch something but i really like the idea of using kind of free stuff to catch bees not kind of tying all your equipment up you know 10 miles away here 10 miles away there now you have a swarm hanging in the tree and you have nothing to put it in all right so if you can use different different things um cardboard boxes styrofoam boxes um they all work you know and i have people friends around here that break every swarm trapping rule there is and they still somehow catch them and then there's people who follow every rule exactly and they don't. So right. it's, it's a hit or miss sometimes. It absolutely is. And it kind of depends on the location. I, my favorite is putting a stack of old equipment <laughs> and just leave and then come back. Yeah. And, and find those bees in there. Um, I haven't done anything but just kind of stack my either my Langstroth boxes or leave my old Taba hive uh, just, you know, closed up. Sometimes not even all the bars and you know, these are not really necessarily that picky sometimes, right? Oh, yeah. I've seen them in everything and just every possible thing. I, 
gas tanks, just tires, statues, yeah, everything. Yeah, not that picky. So what does it mean to you to to be basically uh, treatment free or what? Okay, treatment free, natural, sustainable, um, biological, regenerative. What's your uh, style of beekeeping? I I consider myself a beekeeper. Okay, I'm a I'm a beekeeper. Um, anything else besides that, uh, if you're using chemicals or treatments or whatever, you're a treating beekeeper. So I don't mind saying that I'm a treatment free beekeeper. And to me, and it's not really to me, the way it is is that anytime you're trying to affect a pest, you're trying to intentionally affect a pest with with whatever. However, um. That the bees wouldn't normally do on their own that's a treatment and i just don't do any of that um there's kind of the chemical free things which i just don't uh when i consider chemical free i don't really even know what that is because everything's chemicals but um i don't consider myself organic or anything i just capture the bees and give them the best shot that they have and sometimes they don't they don't make it right and it's not a bad thing and if you can catch a bunch you really don't feel it that bad um, when some die right so you're no labels just a beekeeper a good goodness you know um honest beekeeper everything else is not necessarily um what beekeeping was intended to be right yeah i mean um, i guess you could say I'm a hobbyist beekeeper. I'm, I'm not a commercial beekeeper. Um, and if you were to ask me, do I treat bees? No, never, ever. I'll never treat bees. So yep. maybe just a little bit. No, never. Not at all. <laughs> is it because it didn't make sense to you to treat them? Or is it because you never thought about it? Or is it because it works for you that way? What are the main reasons why you're not treating when there's so much pressure out there? Yeah. to tell people if you don't treat your bees they will die which is completely wrong right yeah when i first got bees um i didn't didn't have you i didn't watch youtube i didn't know know any other beekeepers i only knew the books that were in the library in my town which were very old they were from the 50s and 40s and somewhere from the 20s i had no idea what a mite was i didn't i didn't interact with any beekeepers so i just had no idea about it and then it was from my very first interaction with another beekeeper that I learned. Um, they said, you know, well, what are you treating with? I had no idea what they were talking about. And of course, they told me what that means. And I just had no interest in it at all. I'm too interested in selection and evolution and just how, how organisms um, either thrive or don't thrive in their environment. I love ecosystems, how they work. And I just, right off the bat, it sounded crazy to me um, that you would try to fight a pest and then, you know, protect your bees from this pest, therefore rendering your bees kind of helpless. At the same time, it just seemed like a double bad thing to do. Mm -hmm. And right off the bat, I knew I was never going to do it. And, and I never felt the need to because I always had enough bees, even starting out. I can totally relate, by the way, when I first started beekeeping first, I didn't do much. I was kind of like, I put bees in the box and I was just kind of like, let them be. And they did okay. Actually, they lasted for like uh, almost eight years 
without feeding, without treatments, without even inspections, right? So I am, my proof was already, you know, speaking for itself, but um, same thing. I went to all the beekeeping um, clubs around town one, the year after when I started getting interested into, you know, really learning and, and just kind of uh, wanting to play with my bees a little bit. And uh, I noticed that everybody was recommended treatments. And I was like, I can't imagine putting anything in my bees. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, not only for the fact that it could poison them, but, but why do they need that much help when they've been taking care of themselves so long? And um, in the back of my mind, even though I had not harvested any kind of honey and I wasn't sure I wanted to harvest any kind of honey, I thought that if I did ever harvest honey, I didn't want any of that stuff in my, in my honey, right? So I, I kind of went your way as well and didn't make any sense. I ended up creating my own club because I was like, well, beginning beekeepers are being told um, a lot of, they're pressured to treat their bees. And, and so there's a lot of, as you know, a lot of um, uh, conflicting information, but also a lot of acrimony <laughs> where people fight a lot. And have you had to deal with that a lot? I know you're very active on Facebook, for example, and you know, you have your YouTube channel. Uh, do you feel like there's a lot of pushback on what you describe for your beekeeping style? Oh my goodness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's almost every day that you're seeing that I see videos posed from from the old guard telling you that you know they're basically trying to scare new beekeepers into this scary thing that all your bees are going to die and it doesn't work on me because I've been doing this a while and it just does not make sense to say you can't leave your bee you can't kind of let your step back and leave your bees alone and at the same time see feral colonies that have been in situations for several years in a row um and then and then that colony eventually will pass on after swarming dozens of times and then uh be reoccupied everybody knows that's just the natural cycle but to say on one hand that all your bees are going to die every time it doesn't work with me so of course i push back and mm -hmm. and um yeah so the answer is definitely yeah so that's what the treatment free beekeeping group is about you know just to give everybody uh, a place where they're not going to get bullied by treating beekeepers and same thing with my my channel you know um i'll come down anybody can come on anytime and and, <laughs> and talk about it if they want to um yeah it's definitely a problem the the kind of pressure and the bullying it's just no fun i don't know yeah and, and yeah don't get me started with that so uh but at least you know having some voices of people that are doing it and and uh i've been doing it for years and there's a lot of people out there that are um basically saying they're, they're not using any of that stuff in their hives. Who are your heroes? Who um, inspires you when you're, do you do any kind of uh, research on some of the other, um, you mentioned Michael Bush, you mentioned, um, you know, Jason Brown, is that right? Brown's um, Jason, Jason Bruns, B-R-U-N-S, yeah, Jason Brown. N-S, thank you. I mean, yeah, there's there's them too. Definitely, I, I kind of I'm on the spot a little bit, but believe it or not, Les Crowder also, you know, he's definitely somebody. I remember reading his book a long time ago and just thinking that was great. And 
Um, I don't know too many heroes. I don't know. I really just kind of stick to what I'm doing. And um, yeah, off the top of my head, those are kind of three of the main ones, really. And they're, they're big ones. And yeah, um, I, I did put you on the spot. So I apologize for that. No, but no. Uh, yeah, um, I, I have, so, I have, you know, my heroes are like Dr. Kefis and, and uh, Kirk Webster. And um, I like what Dr. Sharashkin's saying. I like, obviously, Les Crowder. I spent a lot of time with him, Michael Bush. Um, there's a lot of really good um, information out there for people that are wanting to, to um, know how to do this and, and make sure that their bees are doing what they're supposed to do. And, you know, what's your take on neglecting them or not inspecting them or there's a lot of pushback on that. Uh, do you get into your bees a lot or do you just put them in the box and just, you know, let them be? Or what's your take? Is it a middle of the road? Well, it's kind of a coincidence that you say that because I just did a whole spiel about um, that kind of accusation that we get, um, that treatment-free beekeepers get, that we all just get some bees and we put them in a box and we just never touch them. The yeah, bee havers. I mean, I'm a big proponent of do what you want to do with your bees. I don't care who treats their bees, who doesn't. Um, I think that the the percentage of people who do literally put bees into a box and then sit them somewhere and never touch them is minuscule. It's very small. Who who does that? I mean, it's just very few people. I, I do have seen. I have seen some people that do that, but more often than not, the bees actually thrive in those circumstances. Yeah, and and that reminds me of the story, uh, the swarm that I got this uh, this spring, where a lady had a hive. She didn't even buy bees. She just put an empty top bar hive in her backyard. Some bees moved in. Um, she never touched them because she was scared. You know, she was excited, but then she got scared. So she just never touched them. And then they overwintered and swarmed and called me about the swarm. So th those people exist, but they're very small and mm -hmm. they don't, I'm not saying that what they do is bad. That's up to them, but they don't represent uh, treatment-free beekeeping. You know, like that's the normal thing that we all do. Right. So, so definitely happens. But um, do I get into my bees a lot? Um, you know, I'm just a one person operation. So if I have, you know, 80 colonies, they're, the majority of them are here. You know, some of them are spread out. Some of them I don't get in too much. And they do seem to do better than the ones that I do poke around in a lot. And then I have my log with bees in it, my barrel that has bees living in it. I never touch those. They're just swarm, swarm vending machines. They just come, they just spit out swarms in the spring. Do you and, catch those swarms coming out of your hives? many times yeah, yeah. I, I try to stay ahead of it but with the tree I can usually tell it's going to happen because they become so overcrowded that they cluster on the outside and then they, they just can't pack in and then usually it's the next day and I find them 10 feet away hanging on a little shrub or something like that that's awesome so if you catch most of the swarms and you have you know anywhere between 60 and 80 90 uh, colonies already what do you do with all those bees I mean they're coming up from everywhere right um I, that's what i'm trying to figure out what to do because <laughs> i tried to place them with people um that you know that are wanting to buy bees in the spring um and it's really hard to 
to beat the commercial and sideliner beekeepers that import tons of bees because there's no way to have local, you know, mated queens and nukes ready before May 15th, you know, but that's about the earliest you can do it. Sometimes it's later. So when a truckload of nukes, leftover pollination nukes from Florida shows up in March, that's what everybody, that's where everybody gets their bees. So they just really think that that head start is so big and that that's where a lot of people get their bees. So it just causes so many problems that it kind of messes up the chance that local beekeepers can, can spread their bees out. They're bringing a bunch of terrible genetics into the area. Um, it's just bad all the way around. So, so I do try to find, um, I try to sell some and I usually end up just having way more than I want. I'd be happy with 40 or 50, but I routinely get stuck with 80. With you know, more, it's like adopting, you know, strays, right? Yeah. So um, there's a lot of talk out there about um, the wild bees, the feral bees, they die all the time because they're not cared for, they're not managed. And, you know, when we keep these, they're livestock, they become just kind of our responsibility to take care of them. What is your take on feeding anything at all to the bees? Um, feeding anything at all? I think, I think it's really kind of location dependent. And it's also if you're managing your bees in a way that require, I'm, I'm talking about hobbyists. I, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to tell commercial beekeepers what to do. I never care what they do. Um, as far as hobbyists with just a regular number of bee colonies, which I don't really know what that is. If you manage your bees in a way that you constantly have to feed them, especially over winter, I feel like something's being done wrong. That's just my opinion though. There's some places where you know, I don't know, maybe Hawaii or Florida, they don't have winter, so maybe you don't have to feed them. They probably still have dearths, but I found that in my area of Pennsylvania, um, as long as you keep, you know, keep your eye on things and don't take too much honey, I, I really didn't have to feed. I haven't fed now in two seasons, and I probably won't. Um, occasionally, uh, one will die and get robbed out, and they just spread the honey around it's not a big deal to me. I mean, I, it's so much better than lugging thousands of pounds of sugar. Like I did for years, mixing it, feeding it, you know, open feeding it, drowning millions of bees, drowning them overnight. Um, Figuring robbing. Ca yeah. yeah. Causing more robbing. It's just such a relief now. Now I just, I kind of just give them their best shot. Don't give them too much room. Um, give them enough, just the perfect amount of room so that, they do well and then let them go for the winter it's and i have kind of the best survival that i've had since i stopped feeding so i know it's a it's a tricky question what's what's your what is the best survival for you and and what's what does it mean does it matter to um, look at the survival rates or is it based on the colonies are thriving do we do we care about those numbers and under what circumstances um so you're talking about my own um, survival rates? Well, that, like I, or in general, if you don't want to, <laughs> a lot of people get really uh, 
kind of like not wanting to necessarily talk about this, um, but if you want to keep it in general terms, we can do that. Or if you're willing to share, just go for it. Yeah, it definitely doesn't matter uh, to me to talk about survival rates. The only thing is I try to make it really clear that survival is an actual real, it's a thing. It's not um, treating your bees, keeping them alive, propping them up, and then they happen to be alive in the spring. That's not survival. So I don't care if you have a hundred colonies you treat them all every three days for 21 days, three times a year. You feed, you know, you do all that stuff and you have a hundred in the spring. You don't have any survivors. That's my position. You have zero survivors. So, so there's, I don't want to compare apples to oranges. So if I had, I had 80 going into winter last, last year, and I had, I believe 57 coming out or 58. So it was like right about 75% true survival. So that's good. That's better than I. That's than very I really good heard. without touching anything, basically, right? Yeah, with zero feed, zero treatments, and some of those were just kind of dinks at the end of the season, anyway. And that's right. really similar to what I went in with this this year. Um, as far as do I care about the numbers? Not really, because this is fun for me, so I'm not gonna lose my livelihood, even if they all died, but. I just think it's so easy to bounce back from a from a big calling um, if you just kind of have a little bit of an idea what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, these people will say, oh, if you have two hives and one dies, it's no big deal. But if you have 150 die, that's a big deal. It's mm -hmm. the same exact math. I don't understand why one is bad and the other one's not that bad. Okay. So well, the same way you can split one into two, you can split 50 into 100. It's not a big deal. So do you do splits and do you do that for the purpose of um, in increasing your apiary? Do you do it for the purpose of uh, pest control and integrated pest management? What's your take on splitting? I know you catch swarms and you let them swarm so that you can catch those on the outside, which is the most natural way to do this. Do you ever preemptively split them, especially if you see swarm cells and things like that? Yeah, I definitely do split. I never do anything ever as a um, pest control management ever. So in the spring, in the spring when I'm trying to do splits, trying to get a little bit ahead of them, from my research, that's a time when mite levels aren't really that high anyway. I don't know because I don't, I've never done mite tests. I've, so I don't really know, but I've heard that when the bees are blowing up in the spring, mites are really not an issue anyway. Um, as far as splitting late in the season, maybe to, to, to do a brood break or anything like that. No, I don't do that. Um, and then I also don't really intentionally let my bees swarm. I try to get ahead, of them, but they still swarm anyway. The only ones that I, uh, the log, the barrel, um, those are going to swarm. There's nothing I'm going to do about it. I can't get in there. It's just a big giant log with a little hole. So those I do let swarm. And and but yes, I do. I do split um, to try to make nukes for people that are patient enough to wait a whole extra month. Um, and also, yeah, just to keep them from hanging in my neighbor's trees or going into my neighbor's house. I do my best, but it's not always good enough. <laughs> well, it's hard sometimes to. Uh... Um, just read the sometimes the bees will do what they want to do right and we don't always catch them on time as well so we find in our area that there's a lot of demand and you know less than I would promote it there's a large provider of nukes in the area that also does treatment free 
um, bees. We don't sell our bees quite yet, but we are definitely for the treatment free. And what we find here, there's a huge demand in Texas, in our area for treatment free bees. They actually, when they are sold, they uh, get a premium because people understand the quality. They've been educated on uh, the fact that it's survivor star, it's locally adapted to the cycles of weather and forage. And it's actually um, usually a product when it's being sold that's more um, uh, quality, higher quality than the, the bees that are coming back from pollination contracts sometimes. Um, and, and some of those queens are just the wild queens. Um, so we're finding it's actually uh, quite uh, popular here. Do you have any anybody in here in Pennsylvania in your area that's promoting or successfully kind of educating the public with that kind of thing other than you and your channel, basically? Yeah, I mean, I try, but really in Pennsylvania, I would say not that I know of, um, not that I know of. And as far as charging a premium for for survival stock, I think they should. I think bees are overall way undervalued. That that you can get a package of bees for a hundred bucks is, is so ridiculous considering considering that there's some shortage of bees somewhere um you know the pollinator the the pollination people can't get enough well then why do we have so many hundred dollar piles of bees in in boxes every spring i don't know i think they're way undervalued you don't want to know what i think bees are actually worth but for me i have to try to it's more important for me to get my bees, which I think are the best, into people's hands who who kind of share the way I think and I, and I can help them out. And I don't care. Sometimes I'll give people bees. It doesn't, I can sometimes just see it in somebody. They really want to do the right thing. And I'm not going to sit there and haggle with them over some money because it's not really about that for me anyway. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's like, it's like they're, they're definitely, to me, they're very valuable, but they're also free, you know, for anybody right. to just go catch. Well, free quote unquote, right? It's still your time. It's still your equipment. It's still, you know, it's, they're free. Um, uh, you don't have to buy the bees basically. Right. Right. Yeah. They're free. You're always going to need to buy the equipment and right. you're always going to spend time no matter how you're getting your bees. So exactly. the, the bees themselves are free. And sometimes people pay you even when you say you don't owe me anything, this is this is fun for me. They'll still pay you anyway, so that's always nice. It's nice to do to get paid some for doing the things that you really enjoy doing, right? Right. Like imagine imagine going to an amusement park for free, and then when you get there, somebody hands you a hundred bucks, and you you know it's just that's how it is for me when I go to get a swarm. It's like it's it's a lot of fun for me. Right. What is your take on pollen supplements? Uh, mine, my take, I've never used them. So I usually have a problem with, frame, I mean, in my human opinion, I have this kind of problem where a lot of my frames get totally plugged with pollen and they stay that way all season into the winter. And then in the spring, I have all these plugged up pollen frames. So I could never imagine using using a pollen sub, at least in my area. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then for that, I'm talking about the powdery stuff where they go and collect it. And then, as far as the sticky, you know, Stop pollen sub, the, yeah, the patties. That just kills me how 
I see people get a package and they just dump the bees in and they put a feeder on and a big block of this sticky pollen patty and the bees don't even have any combs or anything. And then next thing you know, they have a ton of hive beetles. So it's really, I think it's just one one way that the, the industry likes to um, sucker new people into thinking they need something that they don't. I don't, I don't know of their effectiveness. Uh, I see that they're definitely a hive beetle causing problem and people wonder why, why don't I have hive beetles crawling all over my hives in my videos? It's because I don't have pollen sub in there. And <laughs> I think that's the main reason. Yeah. So I would never use them. I've had a hundred counties in one spot. None of them have ever starved to death of pollen. So that kind of sounds like what we we don't use them either for several reasons. So the reasons that you just mentioned, but also the fact that they can induce the premature swarming of the colonies in the spring if you feed them throughout the winter. Uh, and then they brood up and then they're trying to keep those babies warm and they might actually die because of it. Um, so there's the premature swarming where the queen is leaving with a bunch of the bees. The virgin queens can find uh, mates much in the season because it's off season. And then there's the other aspect where they brood up and they end up die dying of starvation basically because they're, they're trying to keep those and they're going through so much resources uh, and expanding themselves so much trying to keep that brood warm that it, it kind of counter efficient with the clustering process, right? So. And then there's, uh, did you, did you read, sorry, you were going to say something. Oh, well, I was going to say in my area, you know, we have a really heavy winter, but every once in a while, there'll be these days, a day or two where it's really nice. Just for some reason, the bees all come out and they're looking for stuff. They're, they're grabbing coffee grounds out of the, out of the compost pile. Maybe they're getting some sawdust here and there, but there's nothing out there. And I think that's the way it's supposed to be. There's not supposed to be anything out there. Yet I see a lot of people putting out, you know, oh my God, it's going to be warm. I better put out this giant bucket of powdered pollen sub and their bees are obviously taking it, but, but where would they normally get that? I don't know. I just, it just seems so counter, you know, the way things are, the way they should be. I don't know. Well, maybe they feel bad because they uh, the bees can't find any food. So if they can't find any food, they're going to starve like a cow. If you leave a cow out in the pasture in the winter, she's not going to find any food and she's going to die. Right. So do you think that might have something to do with projecting some, you know, um, feelings? Maybe? Yeah. Earlier today, I did get into a discussion where someone compared beekeeping to livestock keeping you know if i don't feed my cow it'll die if i don't feed my cat well bees aren't like that they can go get their own food at the time when it's available they're not like your cat and your dog um bees are great for somebody who doesn't who isn't able to be in them every single day like you do your dog or your cat so it's really not too good of a comparison or, or they just think their little girls are starving <laughs> you know right. they're ladies so which is another problem but yeah um, and, and so there's also a lot of comparisons of um, if you don't treat your dog for fleas, then, you know, they're going to be miserable. And then they compare those mammals with the colony of insects, which is a completely different biology, right? So what is your take on that? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
man, I'm just kind of stunned with that one. To, to compare bees to, to your dog or your cat, um, you know, dogs and cats and certain livestock have been just pampered by humans for so long, in some cases thousands of years, to where they cannot live without humans helping them. But then there's other animals like pigs that get loose and feral chickens and feral cats who can live for a long time, many generations, just with absolutely no help. And they're the ones that that can just be on their own. And that's what bees do the exact same thing over and over again. They, they get loose. They do not have anyone taking care of them and they do fine. So they're just not really like, you know, certain animals, you know, your livestock or your kid. I mean, humans look at kids and, you know, kids need their parents to take care of them. Absolutely. These aren't, these don't depend on us. We mm -hmm. kind of just get in the way a lot of the time. So uh, evolution versus natural selection and why the bees, you know, a lot of like Dr. Ramsey's mentioned the bees have, um, the mites have evolved with Episterana and then they hopped over to Apis mellifera uh, that what didn't evolve with them and, uh, and spread around the world. And that's why we have to treat our bees or they will die. What's your, what's your take or, on that evolution, uh, which takes, you know, potentially millions of years and natural selection, which can potentially happen a lot faster. Do you think there's value to um, basically letting the bees fend for themselves so they can get stronger? Okay, well, there's a few terms there that maybe I would use them differently. Mm -hmm. evolution should never be said without the words by natural selection following it right after it. evolution by natural selection so that's how we get all the species that we have you know you know that but selective you know selection or human selection or um selective breeding definitely takes nowhere near as long a time i would i would argue that um tracheal mites were not something that honeybees european honeybees um, encountered either and how long did that take for them to to become fine with um, hive beetles uh, European honeybees and especially the bees in the United States never dealt with hive beetles before and we still have hive beetles but they're not a problem for everybody mm -hmm. plus there's still no really good treatment for them um, people have little kind of annoying ways they think they're just annoying the beetles with some with some Swiffer sheets or a little trap mm. here and there. Do they work? No, not really. They can um, catch so, your wings too. Oh yeah. But when they first showed up, um, there's old videos. You can see when hive beetles first showed up here, I, I think it was in the nineties. Like it wasn't even that long ago. They totally wiped out giant yards of bees and they don't really do that that much anymore. So uh, it, the, the argument that bees couldn't, couldn't adapt to varroa mites it just doesn't hold water at all all it takes i mean there's many of us who who demonstrated that dead wrong over and over again uh, the, the fact is that time and time again is that when you fight mites you just make them stronger and you make your bees weaker it's just really simple that's how that selection would work um and also if you look at south africa look at other countries other areas where they never treated for mites they took a hit at the beginning and now they never talk about them. So yeah, I don't know. Most of these people making these claims aren't really, I don't know where they get their information. Maybe, maybe they're just trying to 
uh, sell more treatments. But the idea well, that treating your way out of a pest is going to work, yeah, it's not, I don't see it. So my, and I know it's a controversial stance. My stance is that there's a lot of uh, money to be made in selling treatments, in selling, um, you know, bees, in selling, you know, um, pollen supplements and, and substitutes and all kinds of things. And uh, beekeepers are basically uh, hungry for that kind of stuff. They are looking for uh, all the toys and, and little things that they can do to help their bees um, and so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a big believer that a lot of that is money driven and you have to follow the money to kind of realize uh, the narrative and what is being pushed, right? Right. Especially, you know, if you sell oxalic acid vaporizers, how are you going to sell them if you don't scare the living daylights out of everybody who you talk to, especially new people who don't know any better? Mm -hmm. um, and just the fact that these treatments keep being... Um, the, the mites just keep becoming resistant to them. It's, it's comical, really. Um, and, and the oxalic acid was supposed to be the one that the bees could never figure, that the mites could never figure out. They just were never going to figure it out. But the beekeepers went from using it once a year to twice to, to now, like, so many times. It's, it's scary. Um, and the way that the threshold started at 30 and went to 20 and then 10 now it's like if you see three you better get in there so many times um yeah they're making kind of a joke of their whole all their theories no and i and i that's one of the points that we talk about with less often is that that threshold was much higher before but now they're telling you just to be safe yeah we had to lower it and now oxalic acid doesn't take care of the mites under the capping, by the way. So formic acid does. It's uh, much harsher on the bees, but it's still an organic acid. What's the what's your take on all those organic acids and what that word organic and, and is it something that if you ever had to treat, you would do I, mean, I it's a silly question because you're never going to treat. I know you. <laughs> so but what's your take on on that? I, it's I'm almost speechless because um, they call it organic. So maybe um, maybe formic acid is a little bit. You know, the bees have a little bit of it, just like ants have it. It's in the honey. My whole thought of it is, I don't care. Anything that that you use to fight mites, period, causes you know that never kills them all. And if it does kill them all, that's even worse. I mean it. It never will. So if it kills every single one except for, say, two, that's that's just like you have the champion, grand champion mites of all time in your hive now. And now you're going to be fighting with their children over the next who knows how long. So whether it's organic, um, sugar, dusting, I don't care, brood breaks, anything you're doing to fight mites is a treatment. So it's not helping in the long run. It's not helping the species or it's not helping your gene pool. So what would I, what would it take for me to use them? Um, I don't What's know. What's your take? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It would never happen. It'd be like, uh, right. what would it take for me to jump off a building? I don't know. I wouldn't <laughs> but yeah, we don't want you to do that. Uh, and then, um, I, I mean, I'm with you. First of all, that organic, organic word is more um, a chemistry term. My understanding is yeah. it's not necessarily mean biological or natural or anything like that. So there's a misnomer there. 
but um, basically you're agreeing with Kirk Webster. You're using the past to um, to get your being stronger. You want those pests almost to be there uh, so that they can give the uh, bees basically some practice at, at getting stronger, like exercise. Yeah, well, it's an arms race, just like they have between many animals and and their prey or online predators, you know. If just like between cheetahs and Thompson, Thompson's gazelle or between, I don't know, uh, anything lions and wildebeest uh they can't if you if you go out into the jungle and just start feeding all these cats for forever you know for the next 50 years and you never let them do anything on their own and then you expect expect them to catch something they're not going to do it they're going to be totally they're going to be just shot so yeah the the organic word is very confusing it can mean several things the same way essential oils can mean several things you know essential you might think that's because you need it and you really don't um so yeah that is that can confuse people yep um so the um queens let's talk about queens for a second and i think that will be my last questions what's your take on queens do you sometimes get your own queens do you what's your take on um uh, basically if you have bees that are not doing well do you give them another queen uh and where what kind of queen would you do in that case and can you fix bees that are not good uh let's say from um that have been treated or you know I, I shouldn't say not good. Uh, can you replace the genetics in an existing colony to your liking? I mean, if you were unfortunate enough to have to buy bees, you know, and they were from a terrible source, which is pretty much anyone selling them in bulk and treating them, um, you could look around, I guess, and try to try to find someone who who has survivor stock. I find a lot of people say they do, but they really don't. But I would encourage that person to really try to catch swarms is kind of the answer to everything and you know propagate those requeen your 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 stuff with with those um they're just too easy to catch um as far as fixing a colony or replacing queens for me personally i'll only replace queens that you know are drone layers or something just drastically wrong with her maybe she wasn't mated and it's just a tiny little nub I'll try to fix that situation, but I never, I never like euthanize colonies because their mite level is high or anything like that. I let them fight. I don't let them die. I let them fight. That's my new slogan. That's yeah. my new I let them fight. I don't let them die. I let them have a chance to fight. And if they're around in spring, that's great. I mean, I, my favorite ones are the ones that get just beat up and have, and I give yes. them no chance to survive. And then they do. So, yeah that's and i don't know why it, it always confuses me that people want to do the opposite they want to keep propagate the queens that have the lowest mite levels but who can't survive with low mite levels i mean i want the right. ones that get beat up and still survive um hopefully that answered that yeah it does uh, when you do intervene where do you get your queens do you rear them yourself or do you get a swarm and merge them together or oh well, when I do, a lot of times, like, for example, this year, I got, uh, I think, 80 swarms I caught, and probably 75% of those were queenless for some reason. Oh, wow. After two weeks, you know, they had queens at first, but 
upon their second or third inspection, they were just queenless. And I thought this was fantastic because I could go to my favorite colony, uh, you know, long lived bees that I've had for a long time, uh, you know, long family history of those bees. And I could pull a frame of eggs out of that and drop it right into that new swarm. And now I have another one of my favorite colonies. Uh, Mm -hmm. I did that with the the tree colony that I've had here for three years, um, probably four now. Um, I caught their swarms and then they had great queens in them. So every time I got one of these other swarms where the queen disappeared, I would just requeen it with not, if I had cells, I would use cells, but a lot of times I didn't, I would just give them a frame of eggs or young larvae and let them raise their own. And then always they make way too many. So then I could cut some of those out. And whenever I had extra cells, I always ran through the yard and looked for somebody that lost their queen so I could fix it. But yeah, that's just, that I love it. I love it when it, when a county that I don't really know if they're any good somehow becomes queenless because then I can propagate from the ones that I know uh, have stood the test of time for a long time. There's so much we can do when we understand the biology of the honeybee to fix problems with colonies. And like you said, um, kind of let them fight uh, when they have a choice, when they still have a queen or uh, use the biology to kind of let them replace their queen um or just basically like you said um take advantage of the swarming instinct to get some of storm cells so what it does what i recognize here is that you're leveraging the natural biology the biology of the superorganism did you how did you learn all this i mean it doesn't kind of did you do a lot of research online did you read books what what was your school on that i definitely read a, a lot of things online um, early, like earlier. I haven't read in a long time, but I definitely read a lot of Michael Bush's website, just a lot of Jason Brun's um, Let Him Be, like I said. There was just so much there that that you just don't find writing like that too much anymore. Um, yeah, so I did read a lot of that, and I'm trying to think of what books I read, just the really old ones. Back when, back when they just weren't worried about too many things they still had a lot of bees die so that's one thing people gotta know this but bees this, die right yeah this myth that everything survived every year is just t- totally false um so but that's where i learned from and then little by little i learned kind of things um just things from being in the bees as much as i possibly could uh, that, that no one's ever told me about and that's where i learned just by messing with the bees as much as i can that's and by the- that's awesome. Do you mentor people? Oh, man, I try. <laughs> like, I try <laughs> to. And I think I do. I mean, there's a lot of people whose yards, they call me up. I come over and help them out. Um, some really took the ball and ran and are doing great. Um, some kind of got sick of me, <laughs> which yeah. is, I can understand that. But I, I do help people. But I really kind of check them out first. I want to know what are their long-term plans. I'm not trying to to just help someone just do the same thing they could they could learn on Facebook. Mm-hmm. But I do try to mentor as much as I can. Yeah, no, that's cool. And, and your YouTube channel, yeah, I mean, it's providing a lot of information. And I noticed that you have a lot more um, interviews and people coming onto your channel and chatting. And, and so that's, um, that's uh, helping educating uh, people, right? Yeah, I really like doing interviews, trying to find different people like you and I had a great interview everybody loves that one um I tried to talk with treatment free beekeepers but also 
occasionally a regular beekeeper. Um, but yeah, I don't, I'm just regular people, not like giant superstars. I don't have any big, big YouTube stars on there or anything, but yeah, anybody who has, has a little bit of a story to tell, especially if it's treatment free beekeeping, I'd love to talk to them. You need to talk to Les. I think it would uh, be a great conversation, by the way. Yeah, I'd like, I'd like to have him on. I just, you know, I'm sure he's extremely busy, so I don't know. I just didn't want to bug him. He's kind of one of the big ones. Uh, he'd probably be the biggest person I had on there so far. Yeah, I think he loves t- telling, you know, um, his message. He loves to share his message. That's his passion, uh, along with the bees. Basically, just being in the bees and uh, telling people, uh, sharing his story and, and sharing his uh, philosophy on beekeeping is a big part of who he is. So I think you would love that. Yeah. I'll have to reach out to him eventually. When I, when I get the nerve, I'll reach out to him. Yeah. Well, I'll talk to him if you want. I I, I mean, I kind of know him. <laughs> yeah, I, know I work with him every day, people. right? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, uh, I really appreciate this was a fantastic uh, chat. Hopefully our uh, listeners will have learned a few things um, along the lines. Thank you so much for sharing your time today, Bruce. That was awesome. We really appreciate you and what you're doing with the bees. And um, yeah, hopefully uh, you can come on uh, again at some point when uh, Les is up and maybe we'll have a talk together or you can talk to him as well. Okay, that'd be great. Thanks for having me, Natalie. Thank you, Bruce. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Hive Jive. We appreciate you joining us on our beekeeping adventures. And you can find out more information about today's episode online at thehivejive.com. And as always, thanks for listening.